Our DNA is not our destiny. Our true destiny lies within our mechanism. How often and how well you move all day long is the single most important component of our existence. Now imagine you're in a concert hall and a pianist is seated at a gorgeously polished Stingway Grand. And the concert hall begins and the music is beautiful, it's breathtaking, everything is perfect. But then a few minutes into the piece, the pianist misses the key. And the first time it happens, it's almost unnoticeable, an extra D, perhaps, in a chord that doesn't need that note. But embedded in so many perfectly played notes, hidden among an otherwise flawless chord and an otherwise perfect melody, it's nothing to worry about. But then a few minutes later, it happens again, and then with increasing frequency, and again, and again, and again. And it's important to remember that there's nothing wrong with the piano, and the pianist is playing most of the notes prescribed by the composer. But she's just also playing some extra notes, and initially, it's just annoying. But over time, it becomes unsettling. Eventually, it ruins the concerto. Indeed, we assume that there was something wrong with the pianist. Someone, they might even rush onto the stage to make sure she's alright. See that woodpecker again. That epigenetic noise causes the same kind of chaos. It's driven in large partly by highly disruptive insults to the cell, such as broken DNA. Hi, my name is Dr. Matt Hammett and in this video we're going to journey together and continue my saga about sitting disease, social isolation and sedentary lifestyle. It's the greatest sickness of our time. For those who have ears to hear and eyes to see, I'm going to open up the literature behind what sedentary lifestyle does, not only to your spine, but your cells, right down to your DNA. So come along with me on this hike as I discuss a science called epigenetics and the term no one has heard before, the mechanome. I'm going to touch at the level of our cells down to our chromosomes, the telomeres, how movement is the trigger to our biology, why movement, the right and healthy amount of movement, as it aids our digestion, our biochemistry, our cellular physiology down to the chromosomes in our DNA. The term I'm going to geek out about on this walk is mechanotransduction and why most chronic illnesses from diabetes, heart disease and cancer is a mechanotransduction disease. I'm going to pick up where doctors and scientists have dropped the ball and the new biology of chiropractic. It's all about the mechanome. Come on and geek out with me while we go on this hike. NASA scientists found along with squatting, kneeling, is a common position used by the Japanese, many of whom still sleep on the floors. The multiple times they need to stand up from these positions during the day, well it keeps them healthy. 
In the early 20th century, a group of Akinawans were enticed to move to Brazil. And in doing this, they adopted the dietary habits of their new home, along with Western conveniences, such as sitting in chairs and sleeping in beds. And in spite of sharing the same genes, data from 100,000 Akinawans, well, it showed that their life expectancy, well, it was shortened by 17 years compared to their family relatives who stayed back home. Even in Okinawa, those under 50 who grew up with fast food outlets and denied their Japanese culture of squatting, kneeling, and sleeping on the floors, well, they were surrounded by the U.S. military bases, and they now have Japan's highest rates of obesity, heart disease, and premature death. As Western chairs and beds flooded Japan, the level of diabetes has flourished. The Western diet was already consuming the culture. It turns out, it was the lack of tiny all-day movement that killed them, and in one single generation gave the highest rates of obesity, heart disease, and premature death. And some sources mention, well, that compared it to those practicing all-day movement, lived into their hundreds, while those who didn't live to about 50 to 60 years of age. One can almost predict the physical mobility of a society by the extent of squatting, kneeling, or floor-sitting habits of its population. I hope I got your attention. Trees are shaped by the wind. Wind in trees does more than rustle leaves. The gentle breeze is prevailing winds and cyclonic occurrences that arise from the daily and seasonal changes in solar heating all affect the growth, the form, and the very survival of trees. Arborists need to be aware of the impact of wind on trees because it affects the quality of nursery stock and subsequent growth of trees planted in the landscape. Plant biologists know the tree genes specify the primary shape and color and the texture of trees. These genetically determined outcomes help a biologist classify a tree as a redwood or an oak and on and on. It's the movement of the tree, specifically the all-day tiny movement, everyday stimulation created by the mechanical energy from the wind that dictates the girth of a tree's trunk and how the branches align and even how it's nourished, its nutrition requirements, digestion so to speak, as well as how often and what angle a tree branches to. Hardwoods seem to suffer wind throw or tree roots uprooted by the wind. It's more commonly during the growing season such as this when they have leaves to catch the wind. However, many trees such as the sycamore, the yellow poplar, or the sweet gum trees, and of course the black locust trees, well, they have leaves that curl or cluster together in strong wind reducing the exposed surface area and the wind drag on the canopy. So the rate of heat loss from leaves and twig surfaces, the gas exchange through something called stomates, and even the growth and girth of the tree trunk, well, it can be influenced by the strong winds. Stomates are the 
pores in the epidermis of leaf stems and other organs that controls the ratio of gas exchange. See, the wind enters through the plant through these openings by gaseous diffusion containing carbon dioxide, which is used in photosynthesis. The wind through the stomates it's also used for cellular respiration in every living tissue of the plant. Even the variations from mild to strong winds have distinctive genetically determined effects on trees. Moderate winds have distinct effects in sculpting the very shape of trees. Doesn't that just blow you away? <laughs> no pun intended. If you attended high school in the last hundred years, you're probably presented with a cellular model that basically states a cell's nucleus contains all the information necessary for cellular replication with the genetic information, the DNA, determining a cell's behavior. In other words, this state of every tissue made up of these cells and every organ made up of tissues and every system made up of these organs is dictated by our genes. But as the trees have just shown us, genes are not that simple. That is a force at play, a trigger on a gun that shoots the whole organism into being. Scientists have observed that a person simply having a particular gene, it doesn't automatically create a particular outcome. And this means, for example, that you and your neighbor could have both a breast cancer gene but only one or neither of you gets the cancer. The fact that identical genes can behave differently depending on the environment has led to an emerging field of study called epigenetics and it's a branch of biology studying how a cell's environment can affect the behavior of the cell itself. So a gene is a specific sequence of DNA and a single chromosome that encodes a particular product. And many people associate genes with the concept of predetermination. And we use these terms interchangeably, as in, the doctor said my bad knees were genetic. Or research shows that cardiovascular disease is genetic. But using the term genetic in this way is as best outdated and at worst, totally paralyzing to the person with the issue. It would be more accurate to think about genes as rain setters of an outcome. You know, your genetic constitution is not a picture of how you're going to look now and in the future. Rather, your genetic makeup is like one of those discs you put in a Viewmaster toy from the 1980s. A toy I had as a kid. There's a huge diverse selection of potential outcomes of colors and shapes for you to select by toggling on the Viewmaster's lever and looking through the viewfinder of this toy. Take that wind in. You can almost hear the branches rustling in the wind, shaping the very tree, the very girth, the breadth of the tree. Now, Let's take it back to high school for a moment. You know, we're in a science class together. And you're probably familiar with the term genome. 
your genes, gene modifiers, and on and on. And it's used regularly when it comes to health and human experience. But chances are, even if you've been to medical school, and I know this because when I talk to medical doctors about this next term, their eyes gloss over like a deer with headlights on it on the road. I bet you've never heard the term mechanome. The mechanome, an example of a gun, is the mechanical trigger you need to pull. An example of the Viewmaster toy, it would include all the forces and machinery necessary to move the lever and advance the disc. You see, the mechanical machinery gets more complex in biology. Yes, in plant biology, but especially in human biology. The machinery, the process of creating stimulation, the loads that are perceived by your cells. Specifically, they are called mechanosensors and the response triggered by the cell deformations. They're collectively called the mechanome. That trigger, the mechanome, is the interplay between forces and biology. It very much participates in the creation of your biology every single day by these mechanical forces to the amount we move, but especially like the tree, how well our spine moves, its alignment, and how good our posture is vital to how well we express our mechanome, thus expressing the best version of ourselves right down to the level of our DNA. This explains how chiropractic research in telomeres, you know, the wax ends of your shoelaces, they hold your shoelace together. Telomeres are the wax ends of your chromosomes within your DNA. Well, they have anti-aging properties to them. The shorter your telomere, or the wax end of your shoelace, the older you get. So, chiropractic research. It's been shown that chiropractic adjustments to your spine lengthens telomeres in your DNA, and it can have anti-aging effects. There's been no direct causation as to what specifically changes the telomere length, but there's been several studies just looking at the correlation between telomere length and overall health. A study out of Harvard Medical School, well, it showed that shortening of telomere length may be the best way to look at cellular aging. Telomere length is often used to describe our biological age versus our chronological age, or the number of years. At birth, our telomeres are the longest. The longest they're ever going to be, and they get shorter and shorter as we age. So by improving the function of your body's neurological circuitry, we can change the length of your telomeres. To understand how the mechanome, which is driven by how much and how well we move, and how that plays the most vital role in our biology, we need to pay another visit to the epigenome, the part of the cell that sirtuins, or longevity genes, help to control. I can hear a woodpecker in the distance triggering against the tree. See, up close, the epigenome is more complex and wonderful than anything we humans have invented. It consists of strands of DNA that are wrapped around spooling proteins called histones, which are bound up into bigger loops called chromatin, which are bound up into even bigger loops called
called chromosomes. Just like that woodpecker in the background, sirtuins instruct the histone spooling proteins to bind up DNA tightly, while they leave other regions to flail around. In this way, some genes stay silent, while others can be assessed by DNA binding transcription factors that turn genes on. So, accessible genes. Well, they're said to be in euchromatin, while silent genes are in heterochromatin. Both play a role in the expression of genes. Euchromatin participates in the active transcription of DNA to messenger RNA products, while heterochromatin methylates certain portions of the genome. So by removing these chemical tags on histones, sirtuins help prevent transcription factors from binding to genes, converting euchromatin into heterochromatin for methylation. Every one of our cells has the same DNA, of course, so what differentiates a nerve cell from a skin cell is the epigenome, the collective term of the control systems and the cellular structures that tell the cell which genes should be turned on and which should be turned off. And this, which of course, is triggered by the mechanome. It's far more than our genes. It's actually what controls much of our lives. One of the best ways to visualize this is to think of our genome as a grand piano. And each gene is a key. And each key produces a note. And the fingers hitting the key is the mechanome. And from instrument to instrument, depending on the maker, the materials, and the circumstances of manufacturing. Each will sound a bit different, even if played the exact same way. These are our genes. We have about 20,000 of them, give or take a few thousand. But each key that can be played pianoismo, soft, or forte with force. Of course, this is also determined by the fingers hitting the keys, the mechanome. The notes can be tenuto, held, or algoretto, played quickly. Once again, this too determined by the mechanome. And so for a master pianist, there are hundreds of ways to play each individual key and endless ways to play the keys together in chords and in combinations. This creates music we know as jazz, ragtime, rock, reggae, waltz, or whatever. While the brain behind the pianist that makes this happen is the epigenome. Nothing happens without his fingers hitting the keys and triggering the mechanome into play. Birds. Through a process of revealing our DNA or bundling it up in tight protein packages and by marking genes with chemical tags called methyls and acetyls composed of carbon, oxygen, and hydrogen. The epigenome uses our mechanome to make the music of our lives. Yes, sometimes the size, shape, and condition of a piano dictate what a pianist can do with it. It's tough to play a concerto on an 18-key toy piano, and it's mighty hard to make beautiful music on an instrument that hasn't been tuned in 50 years. Likewise, the genome certainly dictates what the epigenome can do. A caterpillar can't become a human being, but it, be it can become a butterfly by virtue of changes in epigenetic expression. 
that occurred during metamorphosis, even though its genome never changes. Understand? Similarly, the child of two parents from a long line of people with black hair and brown eyes isn't likely to develop blonde hair and blue eyes, but twin agouti mice in the lab can turn out brown or golden, depending on how much the agouti gene is turned on during gestation by environmental influences on the epigenome, such as folic acid, vitamin B12, soy, or the toxin BPA. Similarly, among monozygote human twins, epigenetic forces can drive two people with the same genome in vastly different directions. It can even cause them to age differently. You can see this clearly in side-by-side -side photographs of the faces of marathon runners and sedentary twins. Their DNA is still largely the same, but the sedentary twin have bigger bags under their eyes, deeper jowls below their chins, and more wrinkles around their eyes and mouths, fatter bellies, and a whole host of chronic diseases along with it. They're not older, but they're clearly aged faster, and studies of identical twins place the genetic influences on longevity at between 10 and 25 percent, which, by any estimation, is surprisingly low. Our DNA is not our destiny. Our true destiny lies within our mechanism. How often and how well you move all day long is the single most important component of our existence. Now imagine you're in a concert hall and a pianist is seated at a gorgeously polished Steinway Grand. And the concert hall begins and the music is beautiful. It's breathtaking. Everything is perfect. But then a few minutes into the piece, the pianist misses the key. And the first time it happens, it's almost unnoticeable, an extra D, perhaps, in a chord that doesn't need that note. But embedded in so many perfectly played notes, hidden among an otherwise flawless chord and an otherwise perfect melody, it's nothing to worry about. But then a few minutes later, it happens again, and then with increasing frequency, and again, and again, and again. And it's important to remember that there's nothing wrong with the piano, and the pianist is playing most of the notes prescribed by the composer. But she's just also playing some extra notes, and initially, it's just annoying. But over time, it becomes unsettling. Eventually, it ruins the concerto. Indeed, we assume that there was something wrong with the pianist. Someone, they might even rush onto the stage to make sure she's all right. See that woodpecker again. That epigenetic noise causes the same kind of chaos. It's driven in large partly by highly disruptive insults to the cell, such as broken DNA. <laughs> in the case of that tree over there, that woodpecker. that woodpecker again. <laughs> you see, lack of movement is why we age. And the problem is worse than sitting disease. It's our sedentary lifestyle. It's our subluxated, sticky, and immobile backbones not generating enough movement like that woodpecker that stimulates the mechanome. And it's making us sicker. And it's aging us.
trying to find the woodpecker. I hear him, but I can't see him. You know, our ancestors moved eight to ten miles a day, and it's written in our epigenome. But it's only triggered by our metanome when we move all day long with a healthy mobile spine. Lack of movement or stuck joints is why our joints begin to ache and decay. Moreover, it's why each of the hallmarks of aging occurs, from stem cell exhaustion and cellular senescence, or the irreversible cell cycle arrest, to mitochondrial dysfunction and rapid telomere shortening. I'm gonna get to that woodpecker. Did you know, patients under long-term chiropractic care demonstrated higher levels of serum thiol antioxidant levels, which reduces oxidative stress on our cells. It's helping to achieve a longer, healthier life. But how? Not only does chiropractic help you feel better if you're dealing with pain, but as you can see, it helps your body to function better both biomechanically and neurologically, potentially affecting the telomeres in your chromosomes. See, chiropractic tells the pianist how to strike the key. I just heard that woodpecker. It's gotta be like 10 feet from me. This means that chiropractic can have a positive influence by changing the environment in your body. So, let me give you an example how chiropractic speaks to the mechanome. It works with the muscles along your spine that turn on or off with the proper movement of your spine. Understand this. Your genes contain information about the ratio of muscle fiber types you have, which affects the potential for your muscles to develop in response to these movements. Especially exercise, yes. For example, whether you'll ever be able to be a world-class sprinter. But genes do not run the programs for developing your body into an athlete's. Rather, this development occurs when you create stimulation through your actions, your environment. Understand? It's about how well and how often you move all day long. If you and your genes lay in bed for 15 years, beginning the day you were born, you're not going to end up looking the same in person or on paper as you would have had you and your genes been upright and moving around for 15 years. This is an extreme example, but all the movement and the lack of movement will create subtle differences in the outcomes in individuals and their genes.